Our text for this morning comes from the second letter to Timothy, chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. I'm reminded of your authentic faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. I'm sure that this faith is also inside you. Because of this, I'm reminding you to revive God's gift that is within you through the laying on of my hands. God didn't give us a spirit that is timid, but one that is powerful, loving, and self-controlled. So don't be ashamed about the testimony of the Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share the suffering for the good news, depending on God's power. God is the one who saved and called us with a holy calling. This wasn't based on what we have done, but it was based on his own purpose and grace that he gave us in Christ Jesus before time began. Now his grace is revealed through the appearance of our Savior, Christ Jesus. He destroyed death and brought life and immortality into clear focus through the good news. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning once again. Thank you, Pastor Nicole, for inviting me to bring the message this morning. And kicking off our series of, of Lenten messages, Prepare the Way, Celebrating Christ's Victory. And each week, we're going to hear a different and celebrate a different aspect of Christ's victory. And today, we're going to focus on victory over fear. Before we do that, let's begin with prayer. Jesus, our Savior and Redeemer, you call us to a season of growth and repentance. We may enter this season fearing that we just might possibly disappoint you in some way as we negotiate this time of preparation. We pray that as your disciples we may always see your shining face ahead of us on our Lenten journey, giving us strength to run toward you and integrity and energy to meet each challenge along the way. May we always remember that we are your beloved children, and you desire only the best for us. May your words and ideas find room and linger in our hearts through this message and all the messages of this Lenten series as we worship together each Sunday. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm going to ask you, have you ever felt anxious or afraid? Yeah, that's what I thought. It's the human thing to do. Sometimes it's almost as if we're waiting for the next shoe to drop, the next thing that might happen. And even when everything is going really well, when nothing has gone wrong yet, now, I'm going to have to admit to some anxious moments that I had about, I don't know, seven days ago. <laughs> when Pastor Nicole, our gifted preacher, asked me to preach this morning. Well, I immediately felt a pretty big twinge of anxiety right next to a little ping of fear. 
Several things ran through my mind immediately that made me feel anxious. Things like this. I, I don't do this every week anymore. I'm out of practice. Do I understand the sermon series and the message that we Pastor Nicole has visualized them? It was a bit of an anxious moment for me, but, you know, we all, like we said, we all have these anxious moments when we feel fear about something. Usually, we're lucky that it's just a fleeting emotion, and then it's gone. So often, very often, our anxiety is about these small things. But when we're feeling really anxious, small things can sometimes morph into bigger things. And sometimes, when we can't get our arms around them, they just keep getting bigger and bigger until they're so far out of our control that we don't even know what to do. There are many things that can come up in everyday life. For example, we're in a season right now that is very concerning for me. I'm not talking about Lent, Pastor Nicole. I am talking about tax season. <laughs> I don't do well with tax forms. I am not good at following two pages of instructions set in extremely small type, filled with intricate involved calculations that in the end amount to nothing more than subtract line 56 from 55. <laughs> Why can't they just say that in the first place? And then when Charlene says, let's sit down and work on taxes, I break out in a sweat. Even worse, after we get started, I experience what I call double angst. Now, you may not know what double angst is, but here's what it is for me. I work through a section on a tax form, and then Charlene works through it again, and she checks every number and every calculation and every little word of explanation of how it's done twice. Why? I've already done that. Well, to check your math and make sure you follow directions, she'll say. Too late. By this time, I've become a quivering mass of nerves. <laughs> and all I want to do is bang my head on the table. I don't think I'll do it right now. No. And even toss my laptop into the trash. I anticipate tax time with fear bordering on hysteria every single year and always with the hope that our marriage will survive. <laughs> you know, even just the gathering of documents to prepare to, to do our return is uh, anxiety-filling for me. Actually, it's more towards abject fear. I'd rather go to the dentist for an extraction <laughs> without painkiller. <laughs> But, you know, fear is a, it's really a very human emotion. And that's not only a problem in itself, but it, it also brings other baggage with it. It can affect the decisions we make, the friends we keep. 
the careers we choose, the food we eat. Literally anything or everything about our lives is subject to these pangs of fear. Fear can bring about panic attacks. It can be the root cause of psychological phobias. Fear can really, really impact our decision-making process. I can think of some huge decisions that I have made in my life under the pressure of fear. And because they were made in fear, they weren't my best decisions. And when we have a family, and I think that's a lot of people here, you know, when you make a big decision, it doesn't just affect you. It affects everyone. But I have met people, although they may be experiencing the same anxieties in their lives that we all do, and once in a while have some really awful experiences, they seem to be able to handle fear and anxiety so much better than some of us. They don't seem to fall as often into that trap door of poor decision-making in frightful circumstances. I'd like to tell you about one of the, somebody like that. I'll call her Susan. Susan was the first person that I really was in, did pastoral care for when I was in training to become a pastor. She was right in the middle of her life. And like everyone her age, she ex expected to be around for at least another 40 years. She almost always had a pleasant smile on her face and a pleasant word to say of greeting to everyone who crossed her path. She had a wonderful sense of humor, a strong relationship with God. Everyone liked Susan. She was very active in the life of the church and a dependable and loyal member of the choir, I might add. And one day, her life changed drastically and immediately when she received a diagnosis of inoperable cancer. She was soon in the hospital and under hospice care. And I was visiting her often enough that I could see her rapid physical decline. But her relationship with God never wavered. It was one thing that did not decline. If anyone had a reason to feel anxious, to feel fear, it was Susan. But she was always upbeat and happy to have visitors even when she entered hospice. Well, early one afternoon when I was in the church office, I received a call from our pastor, Pastor Patricia. She was with Susan. And I might want to join them. When I arrived, Susan was still and quiet, breathing slowly, and Pastor Patricia said she'd been that way for quite a while. 
So we were really surprised when a few minutes after I arrived, Susan's eyes opened and that wonderful, pleasant Susan smile just lit up her face. She looked right at us and she was obviously completely present. And she said with a strong and a joyful voice, I'm going to be with Jesus. Jesus is waiting for me. For me. Isn't it wonderful? And then she looked over to another part of the room at something that we couldn't see. And she closed her eyes, still smiling. And a few minutes later, she did go to be with Jesus. Now that day wasn't anywhere close to Easter Sunday. It wasn't even during the season of Lent. But for me, it was a powerful reminder of the promise of Easter. Every day for Susan was Easter morning. We are called to be Easter people. She understood that. She understood that there's nothing to fear. She understood that fear is not of God. She understood that no matter what difficulties life may bring, Jesus has our back. And when I visit people, I have often shared with them Psalm 139. It's a psalm praising our ever-present God. And it says something really beautifully in the fifth verse. You surround me front and back. You put your hand on me. Can we just take a moment, take a breath, and reflect on that? Imagine God's hand. Imagine Jesus' hand on your shoulder. Can we put aside all the the buzz in our brains? Forget about all those items on our to-do list. Stop anticipating for a moment what we're going to do this afternoon. Let's just take a quiet moment right now. Close your eyes. Clear your minds. Give yourself a chance to feel the touch of Jesus. When you are feeling afraid, when you are uneasy, think about that touch. And know that Jesus not only has your back, but he has you surrounded with grace. He is there for you amid all our human fears, whether small or overwhelming. 
Author and podcaster Jamie Ivey has written some words of wisdom about this. Though our lives are full of sorrow and pain, sickness and diagnoses, death and betrayal, Jesus' death brings us hope in the midst of the messiness of life. Susan lived her life all the way to its final moment with this hope. I'm sure there are times when she felt the same fears and sorrows that we sometimes feel. Like those that Jamie Ivey describes. And yet she held the hope of the resurrection over even the greatest of her fears. The greatest of all human fears. When we celebrate Easter, we celebrate the fact that when Jesus was crucified, he conquered sin once and for all, and we no longer need to fear the penalty. Two days later, Jesus conquered the grave and came back to life, and we no longer need to fear death. Just a few days after that came his ascension. And he went to prepare a place for us. And we need not fear that we will be abandoned. If Jesus has removed our fear of these big things, why should we let our lesser human fears control us? We're about to move to the Lord's table and Holy Communion. I can't help thinking of the disciples in that upper room. They thought they were going to experience a normal Passover meal as they had every Passover of their lives. They had no idea what was about to happen. Even though Jesus added special meaning to that Last Supper. They didn't know that Jesus would be arrested and condemned and executed that they would lock themselves in a house huddling together in fear that maybe even got worse when the women returned from the empty grave and told them about it. But even with all the anxiety, the agony of loss, the fear of maybe being arrested, when the resurrected Jesus appeared to them in that locked room, their life-crushing fear became life-affirming. 